I want to speak to you this morning on the imperative of unity. Four Sundays ago, I began a new series on Let's Make the Church Great Again. And that series, of course, is a playoff on the words of Let's Make America Great Again. But America can't be great again unless God is great again in America. And when we find out what our responsibility is, it far exceeds anything that we can do uh, in the political world or with wars and so forth, that if God's people understand why we are left here for a while and rather we don't just get saved and baptized and immediately go to be with the Lord, he has a purpose for us. And that purpose is to be his bride here on earth that will be the instrument through which what we call as Christians the Great Commission, which is in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, that we will take the responsibility to do everything in our power through our praying, through our serving, through our giving, through our going, through our broadcasting, that we will carry the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. That's the reason this service right now is being streamed all over the world, not knowing who might come across in these few minutes a presentation of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the bride of Christ is called the church, the church. And there is an absolute imperative given by God as to what a church is to be. And one of the things that takes and puts all of it together is unity, the imperative of unity, with an understanding that no two of us are alike, but we have been gifted with things from God that allow us to fit in his body or bride, the church, and become what a church is supposed to be as it relates to the members of the body and as it relates to the uttermost part of the earth. In John chapter 13, verse 35, the scripture says, by this, all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Could I read that one more time? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. I can assure you, not knowing when the second coming of Jesus is going to take place, because the Bible says nobody knows. The Bible does tell us there'll be signs, and then we can read those signs, and we'll study those at another time. But one thing you can be sure of, when the resurrected Jesus ascends from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and comes to this earth, one thing that will be here will be the church, the bride of Christ, the family of God. That's a promise from God. He's going to come back and he's going to bring his church, his bride home to be with him. And if you are a born again believer and you have asked the Lord Jesus to come into your life, and you've been willing to die to your old life and give your life to Jesus Christ, he puts you in the body. And he wants to use you here to do some things that only you can do until that appointed time 
when he calls you home or when he comes back here to get us at what we call the rapture or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, in the meantime, we have a absolute mandate from God if we're in that group. If we're in the bride of Christ, if we're in the family of God, if we're in the church for which Jesus gave himself, the one thing that's absolutely required is that we've got to love each other and get along with each other. He doesn't suggest it. He demands it. You don't have a choice. You say, well, I was just born that way. Well, you get better get born again. <laughs> yeah, but you just don't know me. I don't need to know you. God knows you. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't matter anything other than are you a part of the bride of Christ? Are you a part of the family of God? And if you're part of the family of God, you're not the self-appointed minister of criticism. But rather, you are serving God in some way which allows us to come together and be what God wants us to be. He doesn't desire it. He demands it. My church, my body will be a body of unity and where they love one another. Could I just share with you something that many years have taught me? And that is that the world, the people of the world, know very little about any of our personal relationships to Jesus Christ. But the world that knows us knows our relationship to each other. They call ourselves Christians. They know. They see us. They work with us. They live in our neighborhoods. They go to church with us. They go everywhere where we are and they know us. And it is no accident that through the years that the Lord gave to Sagemont Church our mission statement today, and if you know it, I'll let you say it with me. And if I say it all alone, I am sure going to be embarrassed. <laughs> I wear it on my arm continuously. L-P-L-G-W-W. -W. Would you say it with me, family? We're to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. That's our mission statement. We're to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. If we have a relationship with a loving God, we have a loving relationship with each other. It's called a family. And it is no accident, it is no accident that in the 50-year history of our church that if you go to the hospital, you're going to get a visit. Yes, we keep the roll at this church. Our churches now have come up with a strategy, don't put people on the roll. That way they'll come and join and attend with you, but they don't want anybody involved in their private life. Let me tell you something. There's going to come a time when you're going to want people involved in your life. There's going to come a time when you're going to walk through the valley. There's going to be a time when you're dead broke. There's going to be a time when the doctor says you've got a limited time to live. There's going to be a time when you're going to walk out with a slip that says you're fired from this company and you better go somewhere else. That's when the church shows up. It wasn't an accident that everybody and every member of this church knows they can have a will, a power of attorney, and a physician's directive documents worth $1,500 as an absolute gift. 
because the legal people in this church have made it possible along with our Helping Hands ministry. There is no accident that there are hundreds of people right now in this building that have been here, some of them since daylight this morning, to make sure that we have a wonderful time of worship. That's no accident. That's because we love each other. We care for one another. It's no accident that people are going to stay after this service to pray with anybody that wants to pray. You won't get a bill from them. If you want to make a, a, a time to talk to somebody that can help you through some tough times today, that's there. And I could go on and on to simply tell you that a church, that's a church, you don't only love God, but you love each other. And wherever you're sitting in this auditorium, you look around, the television cameras can pan the audience, and you'll see red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in God's sight. And there's never been a word spoken to this pastor of bitterness towards any other race ever in 50 years. That is no accident. That's because we love each other. God made us uniquely different. Amen? But he loves us. He loves us. Why do so many people not want to be Christians? Because they know us. Why? Well, let me ask you a question. Christians, those of you that are not Christians, just take a break for a minute. <laughs> fellow Christians, have you ever heard a fellow Christian ever gossip about another fellow Christian? Go like that and you'll be telling the truth. Because it's an absolute fact. And of course, we don't know who are the saved and who's not the saved. You know it if you're saved, and God knows it who, who's saved. The church doesn't always know. But the point is that we, when we become Christians, God expects us to be a part of his body. And when we're a part of his body, he expects us to love each other. And we're supposed to recognize we are different. We can't all do what somebody else can do. As I say often, we need to be sitting out here while the dancers and the orchestra is singing up there. I know I've sat by enough of us to know. We need to be where we are and they need to be where they are because they have been blessed different than we've been blessed. But we've been blessed too. And so God has saved us. He wants us to be a part of his family. And he wants to put us where he wants us to be to do what he wants us to do. And he wants us to be a unifier. That's unanimous. He demands that we be a unifier. When you find a brother that has ought against you, go make things right with your brother. Then come back and worship. That's what the Bible says. And so we can help each other. When we hear someone that is upset, why don't you say something like this? Now, I don't have to go with you, but you need to go and make things right with your brother or sister. And I'll be glad to go with you if you want me to. To just pray for you and to pray for the other person so that you can put together the things that have been torn apart. You see, when the world recognizes how we love each other, things begin to happen. There's a lot of people living in Houston, Texas, where we are, that needs to know somebody loves them. Now, when you love somebody, you don't give them what they want. You give them what they need. But, but this happens to be our, our world. And if I can remember correctly, in 1 John 4, 8 is the first scripture verse I ever learned. I think I was four years old. And it is God is love. 
How many of you remember that one when you were growing up in the church? God is love. And then we learned Jesus loves me, this I know, and we thought we had our theology together. We could win the world with that song and that verse. But here's something as an absolute fact. He wants every one of us. He loves us. We love him. We're to love each other. If a brother has ought against you, go make things right with your brother, the Bible says. Then come back and do whatever else you were going to do. Because love is a unifying factor. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And the love of God flowing through us one to another is what makes us one in Christ. We're not to be just another attender, but a unifier. Let me ask you a question if you know anything about a team. If you've ever been in a band, if you've ever been in any sports that was a team. Could I ask you a question from your perspective? Do you think teams that win and those that perform, perform well, doing their own thing? Has there ever been a team for all of you guys and gals that, are, that love sports that won because of two or three superstars on the team? I don't think so. If you want to see a great quarterback bite the dust, let four linemen just let them through from the other side about three times. And all of a sudden, you'll see they're not quite as great as they thought they were. And how great thou art when they sing it, they think they're singing in a mirror you know, to themselves, they kind of get humbled by that. Why? Because teams are better than individuals. There's some things that we cannot do without a team. In the field of battle, there's the air, the sea, the land. There are those that are on one side of the ocean. There are those on the other side, but it's a team. That's what a church is. We're a team. And so we all work together to the glory of God. That's what a great church is. And that's what Jesus built when he started the church. That's the way he chose his disciples. That's the way how Paul planted his churches in different places. They all had a different personality. He came back and corrected them on some of the things they were doing wrong. And you can go and read that in the book of Revelation. But God said, I want my church to be a family or a team. And unity is vital absolutely vital, and it is essential. Let me read to you from Ephesians 1.15. This is written to the church at Ephesus. Note this. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all of the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you, in my prayers. Paul is writing to the church and saying, I've heard that you love each other over there. I've heard that you as a church are ministering to the others in your church. And that when one hurts, you all hurt. When one rejoices, you all rejoice. That's where that came from. He was impressed with their faith and he was impressed with their love. That's the two things. Their faith and their love. Their love for him and their love for each other. Yes, you have to love God. But we have to love each other. Listen to Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. And this is still Paul writing to the church. Walk worthy of the vocation 
wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness and with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Paul could not say that too much. I cannot say that too much. The weakness of the church today is the church does not love each other in many instances. There are people that say to the world, I'm a Christian, I'm a member of the church, and then go about tearing down the church. If the church is going to be great, it's got to be the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And you know, if God's word speaks on a matter, there's really no need to discuss it. If God says it, that settles it, folks. This is not something you need to know the Greek and the Hebrew. You just need to know Jesus. And you need to know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you know what? They were one. They were one. And he said, that's what I want my church to be. I want you to be one. You're different. There's many different ministries. You can't do everything here. We set up rooms for 5,000 meetings last year. God help you if you tried to attend them all. But they weren't all for any of us. But they were all for him. Or we wouldn't have had them. It's all about him. And you know, when you love someone, it's not common to express it with your resources. Oh, yes, they can be financial. Yes, they can be a talent. That's not a paid band. That's not a paid choir. That's not a paid orchestra. Those are volunteer people that spend hours. Why? Because that's their gift to God. But whenever you love somebody, you know, you remember the Valentine's Day, the birthday, the Christmas, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it's fun to express love in a tangible way. But if there's anything that God says then that settles it. And you know, if you're a unified church, you're a powerful church. I uh, had some interesting times this week in, in this part of my message, and I, uh, I wanted to find that scripture on, on behold how they love one another, and uh, I thought it was a scripture, and, and I went to my concordance, my topical Bibles, and so forth, and I had my administrative assistant, Ms. Chambers, to bring it up on the internet. And it was very interesting what popped up on the internet. What popped up on the internet, when you look that up, is a sermon that I preached 10 years ago at one of our seminaries on how you love one another, and I told the sage my story, and that's what pops up on the internet. I couldn't believe it, but I'm sure glad I looked because I'd have been embarrassed when some of you would call my attention to what I'm fixing to tell you. Behold how they love one another. Came from a man named Aristides. A-R-I-S-T-I-D-E-S. And it's one of the most powerful comments that's ever been made about the church. He was sent by Emperor Hadrian to spy out these strange creatures called Christians. And the emperor sent him out because he was worried about these Christians because people were following and becoming Christians. And he said, 
I want you to go and check them out. Spy on them. And Aristides went out and did that. And he returned with somewhat a mixed report. But his immortal words back to Emperor Hadrian was, Behold how they love one another. When he went out to investigate the church of that day, about 200 A.D., he found a bunch of people that loved each other and forgave each other and didn't gossip about each other and served one another, and their names were Christians. That's the thing the world cannot handle. That's the reason the world tries to split the church in a thousand pieces. That's what happens when, when the world comes into the church and is not born again, has not have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, and things begin to come unraveled as they do every single day now in America, with some are, are saying as many as three churches every day are closing their doors. But you know what? When you love somebody, you start putting your resources together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and my time is getting away from me, but I want you to go and read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 12. And I'm just going to give you the, the last verse down at the bottom because it's talking about the, the spiritual uh, gifts and so forth. And it talks about how the gifts are given to glorify God and serve the common good. And it ends like this. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so are we to be in Christ. All different gifts, but all of us use our gifts to bless each other, to unify each other, and to glorify God. Now, if you go through that list, and let me preempt this with which, what I'll say at the VIP luncheon today again. God can give any gifts to any individual in any dispensation he wants to. But when God gives a gift, the devil will counterfeit the gift. You have to know the real gift from a counterfeit gift. A real gift will bring glory to God and it'll bring unity to the body of Christ. And a counterfeit gift will bring attention to you and it'll split the church wide open. The church is to receive gifts from God. And those gifts will teach us how to visually love one another. And they will know that we love them because we have gotten our gift not to give them the karate chop, but to love them and share with them and encourage them and to pick them up and to lead them to life everlasting and to let them know when they say, thank you for your gift, you can say to them, it's a joy to give it to you and I hope you'll enjoy using your gift as much as I enjoy using my gift. And you get to see the body brought together. As I told you last week, the, the body's different. We're diversified, hands, feet, eyes, nose, all of that. But the unity comes out of diversity. The thing that makes us one is our differences. If everybody talked a lot, who would listen? If everybody listened a lot, who would talk? By the way, if you're single, 
and you hadn't picked the right one yet, be careful about that. If you like to talk, don't marry somebody else like to talk as much as you do. <laughs> Somebody's got to listen in a marriage. So God's got somewhat of a sense of humor, I think, in some of the things that he did. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we can see that God has a sense of humor. But anyway, God gives you the gift he's given you because where he's going to lead you, if you follow him, you're going to be in a situation where that is the very gift that that person that has never known Jesus personally is going to receive through you. Every one of us are dependent upon the other. The less glamorous gift is just as important as the more glamorous gift. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 has a caution. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel in edifying the church. Our gift comes to bless the church. If you have a gift to give financially, God will bless you financially. For as long as you use that gift to in some way bless the body of Christ and the purpose that God has for you in this earth. And so that's the way these gifts play out. And God doesn't make any junk. And the Bible teaches that any gift we have, please hear this, doesn't matter what your gift, if you don't have love for the body, your gift is worthless. It's worthless. His gift comes to you in order that you and me can bless each other. And when that happens, the world begins to see who God's really like. The world saw Jesus physically, and they said about Jesus, we've never met a man like this. We've never heard a man like that. We've never seen a man like that. That was God's purpose for the word becoming flesh. But now Jesus has gone back, and the Holy Spirit has come, and the Holy Spirit lives in the life of every believer, and now a dark world is looking for light. And where are they going to get the light? They're going to get the light through the body, the family of God. You, if you're a born-again Christian, that's where they're going to get it from. And from me, how can they know what love is? How do they know what a Christian marriage is? If Christians divorce as much as non-Christians, how in the world can you tell a people that God really makes a difference in a Christian marriage? See, it gets real personal to every one of us. To every one of us. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. That's what Paul said. And he was so gifted. But he said, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. In the third verse, and though I bestow all my good to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love. It profits me little. Verse 2, I'm nothing. Verse 3, it profits me little. You know, the older we get, 
the more we realize the importance of unity in a nation, in a school, in a family, in a church, and you can go on with the list. I hope you can go home and look in the mirror today and say, as much as in me as I look at this person, I love the unlovable. I love people like Jesus does. I forgive those who have offended me. I'll turn the other cheek if I have to. But I'm going to love you and you can't do anything about it. So I want to close and ask you questions. Am I talking to anybody here that doesn't really care whether the church loses its power or not? Am am I talking to somebody here that says, I don't really care what happens to the church? I'm going to do what I do, where I want to, the way I want to, with who I want to. And the church can just get along best they can. But if they're waiting on me to give, they're going to think a long time. If they wait on me to serve, it's going to be a long time. If they expect me to ask forgiveness from that person, they better have a lot of battery because it ain't going to happen. They did what they did, and I will go to my grave hating them. And I want to tell you something. You'll go to your grave being the slave of anybody that's offended you and you hadn't forgiven. And you haven't forgiven until you forget about it and walk away. But when you get that, the body starts becoming stronger and people start being attracted. And people begin to say, behold how they love one another. They repeat that phrase of the year 200 in 2017. And they say, I am going to follow the Lord. When you go home, I want you to read 1 Peter 5. 1 through 11. I want you to see again how it talks about being clothed in humility, how to be gracious in sharing your love, how to walk humbly before God, and God will bless you as you read that scripture. How do we know that that scripture is true? Because God loves us, that's how. God says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's in Psalms 139, verse 14. I want you to know that God loves you because of where God put you. I want you to know God loves you because of the high price that he paid for your sin. The high price he paid for my sin. I want you to know that God loves you because he's given the dynamic power to the Holy Spirit and put that Holy Spirit in you. So you can stand against any enemy that comes against you. And when somebody says, if you will, you would. You don't follow that line of thinking. If you love me, you would. No, I love God and I won't. Because I'm following him. You'd walk out on me in a heartbeat if I did the wrong thing. If we had a relationship like marriage. I know you. I've seen you. I know how you operate. But I'll tell you one thing, you'll never see God ever turn his back on his kids. You'll never see God walk away from his bride and say, you have committed adultery against me and you're out. Never, never, never. But he puts it all in the church. That's us. The purpose of this message in this series is let's make the church great again. I'm talking about the whole body of Christ. Let's not only do it here, but let's share it with people all over the world. That's called the Sagemont story. 16 people got together and said, we're going to follow Jesus and let him build a church. 
And that church is going to major on loving people. And starting with lost people that don't know Jesus. And love them and take them where they are to where they need to be. And in the meantime, we're going to love each other. And when one hurts, we're all going to hurt. And when one rejoices, we're all going to rejoice. That's what a church is. A church is not a row of people that have put their name there knowing that when Jesus comes back again, he's going to go on computer, find the rows of the churches, and say that you were baptized on June the 2nd, 1802, in the Jordan River, or whatever. That's not the way it works. He's keeping a roll up there. And what he's, when he comes back again, he's going to come back and rapture his church. And we're going to go up there just loving and praising him and loving each other. But it won't be something else to learn. I know a lot of people that come to church every Sunday, and they're going to have to learn to love when they get to heaven, I guess. But the problem is they won't get to heaven because there's no way you can have Jesus in your life and not love your enemies. Love those that bitterly, bitterly attack you. Those that want to destroy you, rob you, whatever. And that unity, though, of the bride will stand forever and forever and forever because the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit is given to the church. That no weapon is going to stand against us that can prosper. And when we've been invited into fellowship with him here, we can spend eternity with him there. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what it teaches. You remember the Good Samaritan story? You remember, a guy got robbed on the side of the road? Well, let me tell you where it's found here. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. I'll be real quick. Guy's going down the road, a thief steals from him. That's one way to live. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. That's one lifestyle. I'm going to steal it, rob from it. I'm going to do whatever I can. You know what they called him? That was the thief in the story. Verse 31, there was a priest and a Levite. Now the spiritual boys come by. They go over. They look and say, we got to go and pray for them. Let's put them on the prayer list Sunday. In fact, I'm going to pray for three days every night before I go to bed that God will help them. If you were going to classify them, they were in what is mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But then there was a third guy that came by, and he's called the good what? Samaritan. He went over, and he saw the man that had fallen among thieves, just like all lost people, they have fallen among Satan, the greatest thief in the world. But what did he say? What's mine is thine if you want it. And he picked him up and carried him back to the end. You remember the story. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. What's mine is yours if you want it and if you need it. That's the church.